0: I love it anytime time I meet someone successful, and especially so when they're successful hairdressers. I travel a lot. I meet many hairdressers who complain about the industry, the millennials, Generation Z, the competition, Amazon, and whatever else they can use as excuses to blame and justify their lack of success. But then occasionally, you meet someone who defies all the reasons as to why you can't do something. And they get on and they do it anyway. And that is my guest today. Her name is Jill Craven from Jill Craven Hair Design in Canton, Georgia, in the United States. Jill is on track to achieve personal sales this year of six hundred thousand US dollars, which many salons with half a dozen staff never achieve that sort of figure. And what makes it even more remarkable is that Canton, where Jill is based, is a small city with a population of thirty thousand. In today's podcast we discuss what it takes to be a productive hairdresser, how Jill achieves a personal retail result of around $3,000 a week, how she pays her team, what motivates people today, and why developing culture takes time but is worth the wait, and loads more. There's a lot of wisdom here, so get a pen and paper and a cup of coffee, it's note-taking time. So welcome to the show, Jill. I'm so excited to be here. Jill, I am am really excited to have you on the show. I have been reading about you and a mutual friend of ours has told me all about you. And uh, I just thought I have got to get Jill Craven onto the podcast. So uh, our listeners are going to be thinking, well, who is she and why is he so desperate to talk to her? Well, I'll tell you why I'm desperate to talk to her. How many hairdressers do you know that stand behind the chair doing clients and are generating over half a million dollars a year with their own hands. So, you might know one or two of them. There's not a lot of them, without a doubt, but uh, I'm saying you might know one or two of them. But let me put another caveat on it. How many of them do you know are operating out of a small city with a population of 30,000 people called Canton, Georgia? So when you put all those things together, that is an, a phenomenal achievement. Being in a small town in Canton, Georgia, population of thirty thousand, and you're on track, I gather, to be doing closer to six hundred thousand dollars this year as a stylist behind the chair. Congratulations! Thank you. Thank you very much. So the big question: How do you do that stuff? Like that's that's significant money. You must be charging either a fortune for what you do, or you must be working all the hours God sent. So, tell us.
1: Well, I don't charge a fortune. Uh, My haircuts are $75. Uh, I do uh, as well do color extensions, uh, everything to do with hair. I do it. I think my biggest gift is I maximize uh, each guest that's in my chair every time they're in my chair. Uh, Never thinking about the money, but thinking about their experience. And, you know, the more I can wow them, the more money they spend because they want to look their best.
0: Okay, so look, I haven't been to let me just go back to the Canton, Georgia thing for a minute. Uh, I've never I've never been there, uh, but it's a small town. Is it, it, you know, when you say you're charging seventy five dollars for a haircut um, in the U.S., that is like above the average haircut price. Um, A a lot of people would use that as justification for why they couldn't possibly charge that much money in a small town. How do you tell us about that?
1: Well, we do a lot of education at the salon. We always have. Uh, we make it very public on social media uh, and other avenues. But uh, we built a salon out here to cater to the people that want a great experience uh, and want some you know, people that know what they're doing. And um, people will pay for a great experience and for talent.
0: Good. Every no, day. Matter, no matter where you are.
1: No matter where you are.
0: Yeah. So how long ago did you open? Uh, actually, it'll be 20 years in November. Well, congratulations! So that Thank was your you. that was your first salon. Uh, yeah,
1: we, lived, we well, the first five years we were in a different location, right down the road, right. and then we built this building. So same salon, we just moved spaces.
0: Okay. And uh, how many how many people have you got on your team? Uh,
1: we have thirty three altogether. Uh, we have nineteen hairdressers right now and seven apprentices.
0: Right. Okay. So I heard by the age of twenty five. That you were already earning over hundred thousand dollars a year earning, yes. Was that um, working for someone else, or was that yes? Did you have your own salary at that point? So working. No, for I someone did not. Else. Yes. Right. So h- how long ago was that?
1: Uh, well, I'm forty eight. <laughs> <I> was-
0: <laughs> I was. I was trying, I was trying to, to do math
1: on the, on the fly.
0: <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, so ballpark. Okay. Yeah. I was trying not to ask that. You never. Oh, I don't care. Please. I wouldn't have thought you were anywhere near that. So I'm very there.
1: happy to be 48. I feel blessed that I made it this far.
0: <laughs> Good. Okay. So, um, uh, by the age of 25, so yes. you know, 23 years ago, you were earning over a hundred grand then, working yes. for someone else.
1: Yes, I actually moved, I, uh, I started when I was 18 and I was actually in New Jersey yeah. and I worked there for a few years uh, for somebody and uh, I had moved out here when I was 23 and so that happened within two years of me being in Georgia.
0: That's incredible. So um, you said you charge $75 for a haircut now. Yes. Um, h- how long are your appointment times? 30 minutes. Right. Okay. And you're fully booked all day, every day? Yes. Okay. Do you take lunch breaks?
1: Uh, not typically, but because I do color and extensions, and I kind of have little five-minute breaks here and there.
0: Yeah. So, so how many, you know, hours a day or days of the week are you in the salon?
1: Behind the chair, uh, yeah. Wednesday through Saturday, uh, about thirty-five hours.
0: Right. So you're only doing clients Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yes. Okay. So it's extraordinary that you are producing those sort of figures out of four days that's total sales too that's retail and and service yes okay well we'll we'll talk about retail afterwards but um you know so so you're you're literally fully booked all day every day for four days you do haircuts you do color you do extensions you do the whole lot yourself yes yeah
1: i have it i have a personal assistant that helps me
0: uh yes so you do your own uh, do you do, do you do your own shampoos uh not typically not typically, but Not you typically. don't mind rolling up your sleeves if you need to. Uh, yeah, you, oh, of
1: you, course. Anytime yeah. I do. It's just yeah. that we have assistants that do better massages than I do. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. And what about blow dries? Do you do the blow yes. dry stuff?
1: Yes. I make okay. sure I at least am a part of the blow dry each time.
0: Right. So so what is, you know, you're saying, often I'll talk to people and I'll, I'll give them an example of you. And I'll say, okay, you know, you can do a haircut and a blow dry in half an hour and, and, they'll, and a consultation. You know, so, you know, they're, they're booked in at nine o'clock. Uh, you're saying that you're finished with them by 9.30. So, you know, they are booked in at 9 o'clock. That's a consultation. That's a shampoo. That's a haircut. That's a blow dry, And that's them walking out the door with a smile on their face uh, 30 minutes later. A lot of people are just aghast at that. They go, well, my clients, you know, I'd I'd be rushing too much. My clients wouldn't possibly, you know, be happy with that uh, amount of time servicing them. They'd feel rushed. How do you make that work?
1: Well, for one thing, when I'm with them, I'm with them. I'm present. Uh, A lot of times I think people forget that when you're with somebody to give them your, you know, every ounce of your uh, attention makes a huge difference. Uh, A consultation typically should not run more than three to four minutes. Um, If it's more than that, there's something going on. Uh, If you can, you just have to be more precise in what you're asking. Uh, And also it takes education. You know, I've been doing hair 30 years now and I still learn every time I go, I at least Go probably five to six times a year for education, Uh, whether it's business development, technical, uh, self-development, all the things that you need to keep growing yourself all the time. So, I think that uh, having the education behind you to know what you're doing helps a lot.
0: Yeah. Okay. What percentage of your clients would have color? Uh, 90. Wow. And you do all the color services yourself as well? Yes, I do so you put on every foil and you apply the yes, tint you do the whole thing
1: yes sometimes a- toning uh yeah. I'll, I'll i'll watch the toning but sometimes my assistants are doing the toning for me
0: yeah okay so you've got one full-time assistant Yes. Then a, a pool of assistants that you can draw on as you need them correct right so um in terms of the you know the client experience it's a, they feel great they're getting good service it's-
1: yes and that's why we have the assistants. You know, um, the assistants are extensions of us. We make sure that they're trained like we are. They, they talk like we do. And they work like we do. Uh, I really feel like especially the assistant I work with, when they're with them, they feel like they're still with me. You know, so they don't. They don't. That's why we have the assistants here to give them the experience. I think that um, what sets our salon apart from a lot of others is that we really focus in on. Getting an experience because you just don't get that anymore, and people are just craving personal attention.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, you know, you're producing that volume of, of dollars and that volume of work. Um, what, what about your team? So, you know, how do you do? do you, what what sort of levels of productivity do you get out of good stylists that work for you? Oh In terms gosh, of dollars a year. What would a good, what would a top stylist be doing?
1: Uh three hundred thousand. Three hundred thousand bringing in. Okay. Uh, we also do, we do an apprenticeship program here in Georgia. You're allowed to actually teach uh, people from start to finish. They don't have to go to hair school. So uh, we have an apprenticeship program that we do. And I could tell you that last year, uh, our, one of our apprentices that was my assistant as well, uh, when she got on the floor after the first year, she was producing over $100,000 behind the chair
0: right. after
1: one okay. year as a level yeah. one. As a level one? Yes, wow. and we have six levels, yeah.
0: So if, if uh, I'm a stylist working for you and I'm generating in sales over $300,000, um, how much am I getting paid, ballpark? Uh,
1: uh, up to 45%.
0: Right, okay. Yes. So, so we, uh, have, we have
1: uh, the way we pay, uh, they get different kind of commission scales by right. SGP, which is uh, uh, how much product they're selling per guest. Right. So that goes quarterly and okay. they could raise their commission or it could lower depending on if they're doing the
0: SGP. What's the acronym SGP? What does that stand? Service,
1: for? Service guest purchasing.
0: Service guest purchasing. Right. right. So
1: each ticket, how many get, how, how much product is the guest purchasing or are they purchasing at all?
0: Yeah. So you have stylists working for you. Right. Who are... Um, not partners or anything in the business, they're stylists, and they're earning well over $100,000 a year. Yes. Right. So bearing in mind the average wage in the U.S. is 48000 As a hairdresser, earning double and some, and closer to triple by the sound of it, mm-hmm. uh, the average wage. It's possible, isn't it? Oh, absolutely possible. Good. You see, because I, I hate it when I see so many hairdressers, whether it's in the United States or Canada or the U.K., Europe, Australia, whatever, that are basically on minimum wage and uh, uh, whatever the minimum wage is in those countries. And there are so many reasons and justification as to why they say it's not possible here. So, you know, it's amazing when you you find people, not just yourself, but people who work for you that are earning, you know, two and three times as employees what the average wage in that country is. And you know, once you're earning that sort of money 100, 100 grand a year, hundred and fifty grand a year, uh, that's that's serious money. You're living a better lifestyle. You're driving a better car. You're having better holidays. You're able to, you know, working look four up- days a week. What? Wow, it gets better all the time. You know, right?
1: <laughs> I know, right? I mean, where do you work four days a week? It's like, yeah. I mean, it's a great it's a great living. I yeah. know it makes me sad as well when I see that because it's very it's very attainable and it's really not hard. It's more focus. You know, I think a lot of hairdressers, when they come in, um, you know, starving artists kind of uh, mentality where I'm just going to come in and do my art, you know, and they, and a great haircut. It's great. You get a great haircut, but when people come in, if you really can value changing them and giving them that wow moment where if they're just in for a haircut, and you talk to them about other things, such as color or treatment. We're very big on our treatment business because they love getting a massage and they love you know, uh, the finished look. And stop thinking about what the, what the price is going to be. Then I think that they can go so much further. I have a guest that came in that was a new guest to me for a uh, haircut. And um, that would have been $75. And when she was in my chair, we talked about putting some extensions in because she was telling me how she was... Uh, her hair on the side, she just couldn't get what she wanted to get uh, out of her hair. And she's been so many places that have given her great haircuts. So if I had sat there and I just said, okay, I'm just going to give her a great haircut too, she would have left thinking, well, that was $75 and um, that was a little expensive because I feel like I'm getting where I'm getting everywhere else. Uh, instead, uh, I suggested putting some extensions in her side. It took an extra 10 minutes because it was you know eight single strands on each side, but the ticket. It ended up being $300 more. And then I told her about products that would help thicken her hair. Uh, We got that all together. Her bill ended up being $580, um, not including the tip that she left me for $100. And she went out and just told everybody about it. And the next day, we usually call new guests and ask them how their experience was. And she just went on and on about how... She's never you know, loved her hair so much. And the experience was amazing. And I've already referred two people to the salon. Amazing. Um, story being that if she left and spent $75, she would have felt like that was too much money. But instead, she left paying $600 and she never even thought about the money. Because at the end of the day, you just want to make them feel great. And when they feel great, it had, money has nothing to do with it.
0: Yeah. So, so, so tell me about the client experience. Like, what, what is the experience? Sort of break that down. If I'm a client and I come to Jewel Craven Hair Design, what, what, what's going to happen to me from when I walk in the door?
1: Uh, well, right when you walk in the door, you're greeted uh, by people up front and um, offer you a drink, and then my assistant will come get them. Uh, they will change into, into a smock that we have in the back and be seated. Uh, I'll come over and talk to them for a few minutes. Uh, if I'm obviously if they're new and ask them about what they do for a living, how they heard me, you know, what they love about their hair, what they're not liking about their hair. Um, and what I could do to, you know, really make them happy. And we'll talk. And that's about three to five minutes at the most. Uh, they have a drink. They're comfortable. I talk about what we're going to do. Um, probably 95% of my guests get treatments and for more than one reason, obviously for their hair to make, you know, make their hair better, but yeah. more so the pampering factor, uh, you know, whenever they come in, then we, I don't have to ask them anymore. They just, they they always want the treatment because they get a uh, 10, five to eight minute te- uh, scalp and neck massage. Uh, just really feel wonderful, you know, physically when they come to me in their chair. And then I just, try to exceed their wildest dreams about how they could look and feel about themselves.
0: Yeah. I mean, are you in, in your city? Yes. For your, your price point, is it, is it considered exorbitant? I mean, compared to your competition? I mean, I'm imagining if there's 30,000 people in Canton, there's probably 30 salons. Yes. Would you be the highest price point salon?
1: I don't know if we'd be the highest price point, but Maybe the highest price when they leave, you know, as far as all the services that we offer and the average ticket that's spent when they come in. Yeah. Yes. So, I would say yes, probably yes.
0: Yeah. So so how do you train your stylists to become those people? Like what, what is it, you know, what what, what do you do that's different to, to breed people like that? In other words, it's not just you. I mean, yes, right. you're, you're doing... You know, you're a phenomenon. Anyone doing 600 grand a year behind the chair in a four-day week is is a phenomenon. Um, and I take my hat off to you. Uh, but the fact that you're getting your team members, you know, up to the sort of 300,000 a year mark, again, doing a four-day week is is incredible. What's the what's the key to that?
1: Um, I think culture is huge. Uh, and we didn't always have that. It's something that, that we've learned to grow to uh, over the years. Uh, we do a lot of business development classes, and we do a lot of self-development classes. Um, we spent two, a two-day retreat last year in a self-development, and we're going to do the same uh, this year coming up. Uh, but we we, we feel very, it's very important for people to, um, if they're not feeling great about themselves as successful, they can't be successful to anybody else. So we work on, we work on each other, and as a team, we're a really strong team, and we uh, emphasize that to be one of the most important things that that we have here, is that we are a team. And from, like I said, we have the apprenticeship, uh, not only do they learn cutting and hair, uh, hair color, but they also learn business development and how to take care of clients.
0: Yeah. So when you say self-development classes and you go off for two days or whatever, is that someone that's coming to you or are you going to see someone else? Are they industry-based or outside of the industry? They're actually not. Yes,
1: they're not industry-based, actually. Um, The last two years, uh, well, last year, and we are going to be doing this year, it's called UpBuild, and you actually can go to them. They're in New York City, Uh, but we actually do bring them to us uh, for a two-day retreat
0: with our staff. Because it's very things. personal. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well that, well, that sounds fantastic. Talk to me about the retail side of things, because you very clearly said that that six hundred grand is a total services and retail. Yes. Um, obviously, you do a lot of retail. Yes. Um, just give me some indication of what that looks like. Uh, as far as how I talk about it. Uh, no, well, first of all, like what 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 percentage of clients would purchase take home? What uh, out of that six hundred thousand? What percentage of that would be would be retail sales?
1: Uh, this year so far,
0: it would be about one hundred and fifty thousand. In retail, yes. Right. So you're averaging over three grand a week in retail sales.
1: Yes, close to it. Yep.
0: That's for you personally. Yes. Wow. Okay. That's yep. good. That's that's. So, so, what percentage of your clients are walking out the door with retail?
1: Uh,
0: Most I would say
1: not, not ninety. Okay, yeah.
0: So, how do you? What do you do? What do you say? Because again, well, you know, I, I I do classes and I'll I'll ask the audience, okay, why don't some hairdressers retail? You know, because there'll always be people in the room that are doing zero, which is right. ridiculous. And, right. And then you'll dig in, and I'll I'll usually get a a, a range of answers from you know. I, I'm an artist, not a salesman. My clients can't afford it. They all buy it on Amazon. I'll, I'll get all the usual stuff, which I then right. go through and 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 diffuse and counter each of their uh, justifications. Um, how do you do it? What do you say?
1: Well, right when I do their consultation, if they're a new guest to me, uh, when we talk about what we're going to do, I, I automatically talk about what they're going to need to invest as far as products are concerned in their hair in order okay. for – to keep their look that we're doing, uh, whether it's for hair loss or hair color or hair extensions. Uh, I just, I, I start talking about retail from the very beginning uh, and all through, all through our talks, you know, while, while I'm doing their hair, you know, there's some personal talk that we do. Um, I try to keep that at a minimum. And I try to keep going back to their hair because that's why they're there for me in the first place. Um, everybody buys shampoo. Everybody shampoos their hair, you know, everybody conditions their hair. Uh, and most people use styling products or spray their hair it should It should be bought by at the place where we tell them where the, what they need where yeah. their you know where their doctor for hair yeah. and uh, I feel you know how I talk to my staff about it is that I tell them when they go home and they go to fix their hair and they shampoo it and it smells amazing and you you know you told them to buy it uh, and then they go fix their hair with the selling products and they work amazing and you told them about it they're gonna look in the mirror and they're gonna be thinking of you think, saying thank you for sending you know telling me to buy this mm-hmm. um, If you don't do that and they go home and they shampoo their hair with whatever they're shampooing and they're using and they fix their hair and it's just not working out their hair isn't shiny it doesn't look good again it's gonna be a reflection on you you know either way so I disagree that it's not our job I think it's a hundred percent our job. Totally. Uh, to tell them what to use—that's that's part of the service.
0: Totally. I mean, I yep. often I often turn it around. So hairdressers, when they say that, and I say to them, "If it's not your job, whose job is it? Like, do you, do you really think it's the job of the girl in 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 the pharmacy or the girl in the supermarket on the checkout to 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 say to a client, yeah, I think that would be great on your hair.' You know, it's it's just it's the most ludicrous. Thing to say it's not my job or you know I'm not uh, a yeah. salesman if if we don't you know advise clients what they should be using on their hair then you know who's going to it's it's our job like 100%
1: absolutely i know everybody's in fear of the social uh, of amazon and all those other places but if you, i mean we have them captivated for an hour or 2 hours or whatever it might be i mean nobody hardly anybody has that power well you know we have so much power because we touch them, we talk to them, they trust us. And you have all that time to tell them what they need. And it's not because you need to sell it. It's because what's going to work for them. I use it on my hair. Why wouldn't I want to use it on their hair? You know, it's not, I never understood that. Uh, but if you do that every time with every client, uh, they'll never buy from Amazon, you know.
0: Yeah, I like the bit that you said about when you were talking about retail and you said, I start talking about it in the consultation and it's weaved into the entire uh, time that that client is with me because I think that is fundamentally one of the mistakes that a lot of hairdressers make is they think that there's a moment in time where they go, now I've got to sell something, you know, right. and, and it's not about that. I, I refer to what you do as conversational hairdressing. Absolutely. So it starts in the conversation, in the consultation, you, you might be mentioning it at the shampoo station, you're mentioning it at the styling station, it's it's woven into the conversation from beginning to end for anyone who's really effective at doing it. What, what, what about that closure? Uh, because that's often the bit where hairdressers go wrong. You'll often get them to do the conversational bit, but it's that bit where they walk the client to the desk and they sort of, for want of a better phrase, they close the sale. You know, in other words, it's where I look you in the eye and I say, Jill, do you want any of that ABC that I used on your hair today? It's, it's that bit where you can either only say yes or no. What are the words that you use at that point in the client journey?
1: So, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that once you take the cape off, they're done. They're already they're already closed. So, at that point, it's very hard to um, try to make a sale. You know, you, you, talking about it during all throughout uh, helps a lot. And then when I'm finishing and blow drying, I'll say, uh, you know, uh, if they're a new guest to me, I'll say, you know, I'm gonna put up the shampoo and conditioner that I recommend and the styling products and the hairspray, you know whatever it might be. Uh, and we can go through it and if there's something that you feel like you can wait for, we'll do, or uh, you know, I'll tell you what I feel is most important and we can uh, figure out what you want to take home with you today. I never really give them a yes or no right. um, and you know question because then they'll say no, you know, that's not you know this way they're like, oh, okay, and I'll go up there and they always at least buy one or two products. I always say, this is vital. The shampoo and conditioner, you know, you just spent, you know, $250 on your color, please, you know, this is this is vital that you bring this home if, you, if nothing else. Right. Uh, and sometimes I'll say, you know, oh, if you have a mousse at home, finish it up and then we'll, you know, you can get it the next yeah. time. But yeah. half the time they'll go, oh no, I want to get that because they got excited about it. Yeah, that's what,
0: I, that's what I do. Right. Uh, I, I like, so, so that little bit you just said, which was, um, we'll figure out what you're going to take home with you today. Yes. I, I, I like that. And that's conversational. It's like, right. it's not giving them a, do you want, you know, do you need right. any of this? Do you want any of this? It's, we'll put it out and we'll figure out what you're going to take home with you. It's not a matter of will they, it's right. a matter of how many will they. Right. You know? But again, it, it's coming from, it's not some shonky sales trick. It is coming from a genuine, authentic place of care, it has to now, their hair. And I can, I mean, I'm looking at you. I mean, I know our audience are only going to hear you, but you know, I, I know that that's how it's coming across. It, it, it's not some three card trick. It's coming from a genuine, authentic place of, you know, on a hairdresser, this is the right products for you. And this is what you should be using on your hair. And it's got to come from that place of authenticity and genuine care. Doesn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely. And education. You know, uh, a lot of people don't, they go to work in a salon and there's, you know, 20 million different brands. They can't get behind something and be authentic about it because there's so many different lines of different things. You know, um, we only have, uh, you know, it's one brand and then things within it, but everybody is very well trained on it so that they know and they use it at home themselves. You know, that way they know what they're, you know, what they're giving their guests and they believe they stand behind it because they believe it. We all love what we have here. When we all use it, we all love it. So it's so easy to tell people that you should use this because we truly believe that.
0: Good, good, okay. Um, tell me about uh, advantages and disadvantages of being in a small town.
1: Uh, well, advantages is there's not there's not a salon on every corner. You know, if you go into Atlanta, it's not even every corner. It's right next door. You know, the, yeah. there's every you know now there's a lot more people out there. Uh, so that, that helps that situation, but I really never, um, the biggest advantage to me is I didn't want to drive into the city every day. (laughs) So that's why we brought it out here. I don't look at it. Um, I, I don't look at it that way. I look at it as we have, we have a beautiful space and we have the education. So, um, we're, we're able to, you know, give guests what they want and I don't look at disadvantages. I don't feel like there's any, I feel like any disadvantage would only come from yourself by not yeah. going in and giving your all every day. Uh, yeah. I think you could be successful anywhere. Absolutely anywhere. If you believe you know, I, in it and give with your that. heart to it. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, sometimes, uh, uh, because often that's what I will get from people. They'll say, well, that's all very well in, and they'll name a big city, but I'm in a, you know, a smaller place. It's not possible. And I mean, I think there's advantages of, of like, like for example, um, being in a smaller city. Do you find that you get better staff retention? Do you get better client retention than you do if you're in a big city because there's more choice? I mean, I often find that in in bigger cities that staff tend to move around more, especially if they're in those sort of you know the downtown areas. They're a, a lot more transient. Whereas in a in a, a, a smaller, I mean, I haven't been to where you are. I don't know enough, right. but they're more likely to be stable. They're more likely to, you know, uh, this is where I live. I've settled down here. This is where my family are. I've got a mortgage here. I've got a house here. This is well, my life. You know, I have
1: three hairdressers that drive an hour to work every day.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's not – I would say um, you're right about being in the city that there's a lot more um, – I think if a disadvantage would be that uh, we have a harder time getting hairdressers. Uh, we don't hire hairdressers, first of all, we, we, uh, that are already – behind-the-chair hairdressers because it's hard for our culture that way, you know, to keep it healthy and strong. Um, But it's hard to get people from schools sometimes because we're not in the perimeter, you know, towards Atlanta because they want to be in Atlanta or in a city, you know. So that would probably be a disadvantage. But um, I think that it's worked the other way as an advantage because it pushed us more towards apprenticeship, which has been a phenomenal thing for us. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how to answer that because I don't feel like – I don't feel like it's a disadvantage at
0: all. Well, well, well you said something else that was really interesting. You, you know, you just glossed over. Uh, we don't hire hairdressers anymore. Yeah. So you, you train everyone from the ground up. Yes. So they come as apprentices. And now yes. when you're talking about apprentices, I mean, a lot of my audience in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, whatever, where the apprenticeship model is very common and very you know, popular and, and a good system. Yes. Whereas in the US, there's not that many apprenticeships, but no. uh, most people go to beauty school and, and often you hear that salons do do apprenticeships. It's, it's not really an apprenticeship. It's sort of slave labor, which is a shame. Yes. So you obviously aren't like that. Um, if you're not employing outsiders, you're taking people straight out of high school, are you? And you're putting them through a, a program where you train them to be the people that you want them to be.
1: Yes. And we have to pay them to do that. I mean they come in on yeah, they come in on Mondays all day long. Uh we with our education director, Mark, and cut hair all day long. Uh and they are on the clock.
0: Right. Hourly. So They have done no beauty school. Nope. Right. No beauty school, straight out of secondary school, straight into you. Yeah, they don't even
1: know how to hold a brush.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, good. That that's yeah. that's what it's like elsewhere. Um, and and you're bringing them right through that system. You won't employ someone if they come knocking on your door, I'm a hairdresser, I'm looking for a job. You're just not interested.
1: No. Um, sometimes we'll take them out of school, uh,
0: yeah. but they still
1: have to go through our program. Yeah. So they still have a year of training, irregardless of whether they go to school or okay. whether we apprentice. Uh, in a rare instance, we hired a hairdresser a few years ago. She moved from a different state that we knew the salon and the culture there. And that yeah. was some, that. So we did do that one time. But uh, as far as,
0: Local hairdressers we do not. Yeah. Okay. So you've obviously got a very solid, well thought through training program within your four walls. Yes. Yeah. So again, you probably take that for granted. But unfortunately, most salons out there, they don't have any sort of training program. They expect people to come out of a school, whether it's beauty school or whether it's in other countries where they do in a some sort of, you know, um, off-site training at intervals during the year. They expect the school to train them to be the people that they need. And I'm always saying to them, "Hey, they can only do so much. Do you know what I mean? Ultimately, you've got to turn these people into the people that you want them to be. To not just from a productivity level, but from a cultural point of level,
1: which is stronger. I mean, I honestly, I, I feel like technically you can teach anybody technically to be technical. You, I I do, I believe that. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't have a servant's heart. And you're not, you know, uh, an outgoing person that wants to serve people. You can't teach that. So that's where we started looking for people more in that way.
0: Yeah. Okay. And do you do that training? Or you mentioned Mark. Does someone else do the training for you, the technical side?
1: Uh, Mark does all of the hair cutting. And I do the hair color. Right. Uh, and then we, we will bring senior stylists in to do different, uh, different uh, up hair texture waves and uh, different coloring techniques just for them to get different tastes of that. Yeah. But Mark does the, the bulk of the haircutting, all of it.
0: Yeah, okay. And um, staff retention. Yes. What, what, what sort of, you know, talk, talk to me about that. Uh, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a surprise. <laughs> if I was earning yeah. hundred and fifty grand, I wouldn't go anywhere
1: either. <laughs> a lot of,
0: week. <laughs> you'd be
1: surprised, you know, because a lot of them, they've never worked in any other salon, you know, so they don't really know. Yeah. But I think they hear from other people that have been in other salons, you know, and they're like, okay. You know, uh, we just try to keep a great culture here and, you know, we obviously don't want somebody that's not happy, you know, so it's not because I don't want, you know, nobody would, but, um, we usually give a grace period when they first start, you know, to see, and usually by 60 days, you could tell whether it's going to be somebody that's going to fit in, you know, real well or not.
0: Yeah. Okay. What, What do you find that people want today? So, you've mentioned they do a four-day week. I mean, obviously, people all want to be paid well for what they do, etc. You know, I mean, I'm older than you, uh, uh, but different generations sort of want different things. What what are some of the things that you find people want, young people today that you're employing?
1: Definitely um, time. You know, they want more personal time. You know, they want experience. Um, They want to be able to have fun at work. But they all, and I don't know if this is everybody, but the people that come here, they all love, they they thrive on the education, you know, and the experience of the education. I think that there's uh, a few different types out there that are young right now. You know, There, I think there's a young generation that's coming out that is hungry to be be better and do better and learn and grow and be strong. And then there's another side that just doesn't really want to do that. And they want to be able to just come in, you know, uh, make a lot of money and go, you know.
0: Do you find that, uh, you know, your team today, you've mentioned four-day weeks, are yes. most of them on a four-day week? Yes. So time is the big motivator, giving people that flexibility? Yes. Okay.
1: And they like they, travel, family, you know, all that, all that yeah. good stuff.
0: So if you go back 20 years, they weren't on four-day weeks? No. But it's quite – everyone did it. So, so now they're doing a four-day week. Is it, is it four longer days? Or yes. Is it just, so they do like four 10-hour days or something? More. Yeah,
1: it equals to 30,
0: 36 hours. So they still do thirty six hours, but yes. it's in a, a long, a, a shorter period of time.
1: Right, condensed.
0: Right. So, so the number one thing you think that people want today is flexibility about yes. how and when they work. Absolutely. Okay. Well, what sort of hours are you, are you? Are you open seven days a week? We're open six days. We're just not open on Sundays. Right. Okay. And late nights. Uh, till nine thirty. Yep. H- how many nights?
1: Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, Friday till seven, Monday till eight.
0: Okay, so three nights until nine thirty at night. Yes. Wow, and and what time would they in the morning? Do you open?
1: Uh, we open at nine.
0: Okay. So, so that amazes me as well. You know, a small town. Well, it's not a t- town; it's a big town or a small city. I wouldn't have thought there'd be, you know, that there would be a demand for three late nights to nine thirty at night. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: we open at six a.m. on Saturdays. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of <course you> do.
1: <laughs> we just try to make it you know we want we want to be as convenient as we can for our guests that's why we're here
0: yeah so, yeah. so who comes in at 6 a.m
1: i do <laughs> yeah and there's uh like three others <laughs> okay.
0: all right all right um what numbers do you track in the salon like what, what are the key metrics that you're looking at as a salon owner
1: uh guest count
0: yeah
1: uh the sgp like i said Service guest purchasing, um, productivity. So, how many how many people are you seeing in a day, and how long is each appointment time?
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, I know I've I've interviewed on the podcast before uh, Chris Nedzer at Zizo. Uh, yes. I know you're a Zizo fan, aren't you? Oh, very much so. Yes. So, all your team are on it. Yes. Yeah, and how do you find that affects their motivation and their productivity?
1: Uh, well, between. A healthy competition, you know, they always are looking at each other's numbers like, oh, I got to get past this so I can beat, you know, this one in a healthy way. Yeah. Um, but also, I think that it keeps them accountable to what's really happening instead of what they think is happening. I think a lot of times they're like, you know, I've been busy. Oh, I'm like, oh, you, are you tracking it? No, I just feel like I've been really busy. You know, I feel, you know I, I feel like I've sold a ton of retail, you know, and then you can go look at Zizor and it says... Oh, I only sold one client out of 8 today. <laughs> retail, but it feels like I sold so much, you know. And they're authentic in that. They think that, but when you have Zeeswere, it's right in front of you and it's real. And once you know where you are, you can make a plan to know where you're going. You know, you can set goals on Zeeswere so every day you can see where you are with the goals. Um it's important to know where you are, you know. I was never one to track numbers when I was younger because I felt like I'm just going to do everything I can for all my clients and money always came. So it wasn't something that I ever, uh, but as I got older, I noticed that and realized that you need to, you need to know where you are to know where you're going. It's really important.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I'll I'll put a a link to Zor in the show notes for um, anyone who's not sure what ZZOR is about. Um, okay. So do you find also that like, you know, okay, so you've been in the industry for, you know, 25 odd years. Um, uh, are, are, and you just said about yourself with numbers. Do you find that young people today, that young hairdressers today, that they're more aware of numbers, more interested in numbers, they understand their productivity more or not? I would say yes, but we we teach them that. Yeah. You, it's like you're only talking about within your four walls. So you're, Right. You're, right. So I'm not sure as far as
1: outside of that, but uh, my husband, Jason runs the business uh, of the salon and, um, he's really great about sitting with all of them and explaining, you know, uh, their numbers. Uh, a lot of hairdressers have no plan for their future, you know, uh, especially in my generation about like retirement or, you know, things in that nature. And, um, I think that, um, Jason's, he's very passionate about them really knowing that stuff and setting them, setting them up for success that way. So later down the road that they have that nest egg and that they understand numbers and, you know, um, their income and how they can grow it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Do you, do you consciously educate them on that? on yes. Financial literacy and savings. yes, you know, getting a mortgage or whatever it is. You, yes. You're sort of constantly involved in them, not just, you know, going out and splurging it. You give them opportunities to grow and develop as people.
1: Yes, right? absolutely. Yes.
0: It's so important. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Okay. Could you, would you mind explaining um, how you pay your people, what the sort of system is that you pay stylus on. So we have, um, like I was
1: talking about producti- productivity, uh, they have different, you know, we have a levels one through six. Uh, and um, their productivity and how booked they are is how they move up a level. But we separated it from how their commission level works. We used to have it all on retail-based, like on four indicators, uh, their client count, their retail sales, on how they would uh, move up as far as level is concerned. Uh, we took retail out of the mix. So, that way, if they're very busy, they need to move up a level and they'll get a raise that way by raising their prices. Uh, but now, they we split the retail out of it, so now their service-guest purchasing will allot them what their what their commission rate is going to be for the quarter. So the higher their service guest purchasing, we have a scale of commission of how we pay forty one percent, forty two percent, forty three percent, forty four percent, forty five percent. And that's um,
0: it caps at forty five.
1: Yes, caps at forty five.
0: Right. Okay. Yes. And starts at where? Forty one? Yes. Right. Okay. All right. Um, what else can I ask you about? It's, I, I love hearing about successful hairdressing salons and everything they do and what it is that works. Because, you know, I often say to people that when you find someone who's got a successful business, it's not that they're doing one thing that's different to everyone else. They're doing dozens of things. Like, and often they're little things, you know. Yes. And sometimes they just go straight at the top of people's heads. But when you find a successful business like yours, it's an entire it's an entire ecosystem of things that you do that makes that business what it is. And we do uh, do a huddle every morning as well. A huddle every morning. Yes, okay. we do.
1: We have two shifts: ones that, uh, start yes. one that starts at eight forty-five, and one that starts at ten forty-five. And we get together and we talk about. Um, we might talk about a good review. We talk about a product that we're highlighting that week. Um, we talk about one of our service standards that we're highlighting that week, uh, and then if we have classes coming up, uh, just informational and um, celebrate birthdays, uh, celebrations on SGP if somebody's reaching a really high SGP for the day, or uh, that really helps a lot. It gets us together and gets us on track for the day. And um, I find that to be very successful. That's helped a lot. We put that in about four years ago.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's fantastic. Um, I just sort of another advantage, and I don't know if you do this or not. Um, I often say to people, one of the advantages of being in a smaller town city is or or even a suburban area of a big city is that you get the opportunity to buy your real estate whereas if you're in the middle of downtown london new york sydney whatever you're not going to ever buy your real estate whereas if you're in a you know a a more regional area smaller cities smaller towns and often they'll end up making more money out of that because it becomes their pension you know whereas you know oftentimes we look at all the advantages of being in you know Downtown New York or something—how exciting that is! Yeah, it might be, but often you know the, the disadvantages are more transient staff. Um, you're never going to get the opportunity to to, to, to purchase the building, etc. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We have, we did. We bought. We built this building. We did purchase okay. it. Yes, that's, well, that's what I was going to say, but I didn't want to ask. That. Yes, yeah, yes, we <laughs> so did. <very> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we <But> did. <laughs> I every hairdresser if they ever get the chance to buy where they are. Uh, do it and stop making excuses about uh, you know I'm in a small town, small city you can do you can do it and you can do it even better absolutely um, when you're in an area like, like what you're in so okay. look we need to start wrapping up um, I want to ask you two questions well it's one question really, but I want you to come at it from two different angles okay but the, the, the first one is okay so I'm asking you what are three things yeah so so what are three things? that you would say to a young stylist out there about how to take control of their future, how to, you know, what what do they need to do to have a long career, a good career, and a financially rewarding career? So that's the first question. And then the second question is exactly the same thing, but it's to a salon owner. What are three things, three bits of advice that you would give to someone who's a salon owner that they need to take on board to build the business that they've dreamt of?
1: Okay. Um, well, the first answer I would say would be towards a hairdresser or a business owner. uh, And that would be taking care of yourself. Uh, When I get up in the morning, the first thing I do, I mean, when I open my eyes, I thank God for all the blessings that he's given me and that continues to give me, uh, just starts my day right. And then, um, after I get my kids all done, I take care of myself physically. I, you know, I work out and do what I need to do that way. And I prepare for my day, listening to, um, great podcasts or inspirational speakers. Um, just to get my head right, you know, to come to work. But I think that, you know, I've been doing hair 30 years and I want to continue to do hair as long as my body will allow me to and, uh, and my mind. And I think that being sharp and physically uh, taking care of yourself makes you more successful when you come into the, to the salon because you have to be feeling great about yourself to make others feel great and to be successful, I believe. Um, that's always been a great thing for me. Uh, another thing is never stop learning. Um, I think learning is the key to, uh, to growing, you know, you hear burnout, you hear all these little things, you know, little niche sayings that people say, uh, I think it's because we lose sight of why we're doing what we're doing and we don't educate ourselves enough to be excited on new things, new trends. And like I said, 30 years, I still learn every time I I hear something or go somewhere, I still learn and it keeps me excited. Um, and the other thing for hairdressers would be um, learning your numbers and being in a space that you can grow and feel really good about it um, and taking your your job seriously. It is fun. We are so blessed to be in this in this industry. We get to touch people and we hear all these stories and we change people's lives. But at the same time, it's still a business and it's still your career and you need to treat it as so. Um, and I think that is a huge uh, asset when it comes to our industry is knowing that it is a business along with being able to have fun and doing all those other things. Salon owner, I would say culture is the most important thing and starting slow and not going, getting ahead of yourself, um, building the right people as slow as it takes, uh, not just grasping for anybody just to get a business going Uh, and making sure that they're down for your like what your dream is that they're a part of it and that you keep them part of it as a team. Everybody here is my, it's a team member. I don't look at anybody, any different. They're my friends. They're my coworkers. I love them all. Um, and I think that, uh, as a salon owner, you have to come from that in order to be successful, uh, and not just have bodies, you know, we are, oh, I have a clientele, I have this, bring them in, um, you know, they'll bring me all this money and we'll be great. And it just doesn't work like that. Uh, not to be happy and not to keep growing, um, and training your own, you know, training your own from the ground up, even if they come out of school, that's fine. Cause I know that there are states that, that they can't apprentice is against the law. They have to come out of school. Uh, you could still bring them in and, um, put them, put them in your training program and really train them from the ground up and just start slow. You know, uh, When you think that you're at full capacity, go even fuller before you let your ego take over and try to expand to different things, you know, different places and grow more. Because I find that um, that's when things start to crash. You know, you just want to try to. uh, There's so much you can do in your own business where you are before you expand it out. Um, I think a lot of people get they get so excited because they make so much money so fast that they don't um, use their space to the best of their ability. And the final thing is I'm behind the chair 35 hours a week. So you need to have somebody that can run your business. You know, if I didn't have Jason, there none of this would be possible because he does the whole, all the back end. There's so much. We actually just uh, hired a full-time social media person um, because it's just, there's so much with that, you know, and uh, it really needs care because it, it'll grow your business. And it's, it's you know, it's a new wonderful concept that you have that we have to take hold of.
0: Okay. Well, You know, I've loved talking to you. Uh, I I love talking to anyone who's successful. I particularly love talking to people in our industry who are successful. We need more role models, more people who uh, are leaders, people who develop and build good businesses and, show this industry and the opportunities off in this industry in the best possible light. So uh, a lot of wisdom there with the the things you just, you know, wrapped up with at the end. And indeed, everything you've said all the way through this uh, last best part of an hour we've been talking. Uh, So, Jill, I just want to say thank you very much. Where where can people uh, connect with you? You mentioned social media. If they, they want to connect with you, where do they go?
1: Uh, on Instagram, I'm uh, it's just at Jill Craven and it's J Y L C R A V E N, and I'm also on Facebook as uh, Jill Craven as
0: well. Again, again, it's J Y L, isn't yes. it? Yes. J I L. Right. Okay. So Jill Craven, C R A V E N, on Facebook and Instagram. Yes. If anyone's driving through Canton, Georgia. Uh. Please,
1: please come in. We have that. We have visitors all the time, and we love it. We love it anytime. And yeah. anybody can always reach out to me with any questions. I'm always available. Just hit me up on Instagram or Facebook, either one, and I will absolutely get back to you uh, within the day that you that you messaged me. Yeah, and okay. I'm, I'm I love helping people. So if anybody has any any kind of question, just hit me up.
0: Good. Well, thank you very much, Jill Craven, for being on the Grow My Salon Business podcast. And uh, I look forward to meeting you in person one day and, and uh, seeing even more success coming from you and your team. So thanks oh, thank very much, you. Jill. Thank you so much.